Having lived in lawyer culture for going on 38 years, I think I can confidently say that there is no shortage of confidence in most lawyers. Even when you might be feeling some self-doubt and lack of certainty about the cause that you're advocating for, there's very little incentive to admit that and lots of reasons why you need to let the public know that you have complete confidence in your case and in yourself, even if you don't. Most of the time, that works to the lawyer's advantage and helps him or her with his job. But then there are times when it has the opposite effect, which is what is going on in work product, which was the very first short story I ever wrote. Evan Stratus was pumped. His opponent was on the ropes and his jaw was fully exposed. Prior to going through the bar, did it dawn on you that it wasn't a good idea to leave your seven-year-old son in the car? He snarled at the witness, his client's ex-husband. The young man on the stand dropped his head and whispered, Oh, I thought I was just going in long enough to give Jesse a keys. Ready for the knockout punch, Evan went in for the kill. Did it take you an hour and 15 minutes to find her? Evan didn't bother to listen for the answer. It didn't matter what the answer was. From the corner of his eye, he shifted his attention to what really mattered, Judge Petrus's right ear. He looked to see if he had his forefinger in it. If he did, that meant he was angry, and that was a good thing. There it was, firmly implanted. Evan tapped down his excitement and continued the assault. But in his mind, the case was over. His client had what she wanted. To the casual observer of the face of Judge Michael Petrus, nothing had changed. It was still the same unmoved piece of granite that it had been since the beginning of the hearing. For that matter, it had not changed since he took the bench seven years ago. He would slowly move his tall, gaunt frame to the magisterial seat high above his courtroom and then remain motionless, save his note-taking hand. He never smiled, never frowned. His lips were perpetually tight and thin. His head was typically focused forward, but his eyes bore down on the notepad before him, which he poured over like a great master on a canvas seemed his ambition was to record every word spoken without anyone knowing he was looking away from the courtroom before him as if someone was going to get away with something if he took his gaze off of them his head was ever still like it would break if he moved it too suddenly petrus is the variant of the greek word for rock and it seemed only too fitting that The Rock had become the nickname for this judge of Greek ancestry. Not that anyone ever called him that to his face, but when the lawyers gathered at the Razor's Edge, their favorite local watering hole, they called him that, at least when they were being kind. Evan Stratus circled around his prey and continued the pounding. 
When you'd been in the bar for 15 minutes, did it cross your mind that you should go check on your son? He said, keeping one eye on the ear. Evan knew that the boy had been left in the car for over an hour. So either a yes or no would fit his narrative nicely. The forefinger was still rubbing the ear. So what did you do after it crossed your mind? Evan growled as the poor ex appeared to look around for someone else to get an answer from. Well, nothing really, he finally mumbled. A glance at the ear confirmed the finger was still there. Well, he sneered, did you manage to drink five beers in that hour? Holding up the police report from the resulting DUI. Objection, shouted Carmine Dement. The now cowering witness's lawyer, Judge, he's badgering the witness, he stated without much conviction. Overruled. Judge Petrus stated flatly, without ceasing to make notes. And so it continued on. Ten minutes later, Evan finally was satisfied that he had exhausted the subject, confident that he would get a ruling for restricted visits for the DUI dad. Evan relented and rested his case. The rock arose to adjourn the case having worked his ear over sufficiently for Stratus to feel confident. With that, Evan left the courtroom beaming, his chest expanded. His client wasn't quite so confident. Why didn't he say who won? She asked him sheepishly. That's not his way. He'll think about it and then write up a decision. We'll know in a few days, but don't worry. You won. Your ex isn't going to be seeing that boy unless you're around for a long time. Well, I hope you're right, but how can you be so sure? Oh, just trust me, he quipped. I know. I've been doing this in front of him for a while now. How Evan could be so sure had nothing to do with what The Rock was about to write. He was famous for writing next to nothing. A typical ruling consisted of one sentence. The court grants custody to the petitioner and restricts the visitation rights of the respondent by requiring the presence of the petitioner or an agreed third party at said visits. No overnight visits allowed. No explanation for why it was the best for this to happen. Just this is what I'm doing and that was it. It drove the lawyers crazy. They could not understand the lack of words. Lawyers, as is generally known, live or die by words. They write and speak millions of them. They spend hours arguing in court over the meaning of commonly used words and phrases. What does is mean, most famously? In cases involving children, the law said the judge was to consider certain factors and make mention of them, either in writing or orally, when deciding the case. But The Rock did not do things that way. He said what he was doing, and that was that. No explanation why. To make matters worse, the appeals courts had affirmed him when his lack of stated reasons was raised on appeal. The facts were there in the record, they said. So perhaps it was not surprising that one of the favorite pastimes of the members of the Gillette County Bar became guessing why Judge Petrus did what he did. In fact, it was more than just a pastime. Petrus 
was even more of a mystery to the divorcing public than he was to the practicing bar. So a verified claim to have access to the inner workings of his seemingly impenetrable mind was a ticket to family law legend status in Gillette County. But such status had proved elusive. Putting a label on him was not easy. Labeling judges is part and parcel to family law practice. There were mother's judges, those more concerned than others with the risk to children. There were also father's judges, those more concerned with the parent's rights to see their child. Once a judge was properly labeled, then the lawyer can make his or her best effort to get before him or avoid her, as the case may be, through the strategic use of scheduling. Sometimes it worked, most times it did not, But at least once the lawyer knew who the judge was assigned to the case, she knew how to advise the client what to expect. Those expectations often played a major role in deciding whether a case was settled or tried. The Rock could wear both labels. Sometimes he seemed to overlook a father's bad behavior. Other times he came down hard on it. Then there were the times when he was apparently being hard on the mother who withheld visits for reasons he didn't think were serious enough. On other occasions, he appeared to agree with the mother's decision to keep their child home. Most of the judges had been labeled quickly, but The Rock was seven years on the bench and still had the lawyers guessing, but not Evan Stratus. He was confident he knew. Two years out of the prosecutor's office and still the youngest associate at Whitney, Stufflin Burns, Stratus had made his name as a hard-driving, aggressive divorce litigator at a time when most lawyers his age were still trolling around the law library of their firms, sight-checking their superior's law memoranda. Evan had talked his way out of the library and into the courtroom. After six months, He was set free with his own caseload of middle-class contested divorces, where child custody was the most litigated issue. The Whitney firm did a lot of divorce work, and that meant Evan would be in front of The Rock a lot. He made good use of his time. When an objection was sustained, he made a mental note, logged it in his file, and recorded it in a journal that he kept on judges' rulings. He claimed to have a record of every ruling made by every judge he had practiced before since he had passed the bar. He was not shy about letting people know this. His clients knew, his lawyer opponents knew, anyone within an earshot of his usual booth at the razor's edge knew. Stratus was the fourth child of a working-class couple who probably could not afford more than two. All of his siblings were male. At five foot eight and 150 pounds, he was five inches shorter and 50 pounds lighter than his smallest brother. The other three had been athletic and good-looking. Evan was neither. Usually consigned to his older brother's secondhand clothes, furniture, and cars, he had learned to fight for something better fighting, that is, with his mouth. He found he could talk his way into a better situation. 
he learned to compete in matters that had nothing to do with muscle and speed. And while his brothers were winning on the field, he led the debate team. He talked his way into the student council and then later into a congressional internship and an academic scholarship to Princeton Law. He had a will to win that few could match. His present goal was to be the go-to guy in what judges liked and did not like in divorce court. He already had a following among the younger lawyers. Any number of them made the pilgrimage to his booth for a consultation about what judge so-and-so might think. He was one of the few, if not the only one, who was willing to venture an opinion about how the rock might rule. That was territory where even the most seasoned of divorce practitioners feared to tread. Stratus retired to his usual haunt that evening to celebrate when Carmine Dement, dementia to those who knew him best, the 40-something opponent in today's hearing heard Stratus spatting off. He decided he had heard enough from him for one day. Mr. Stratus Spear, he shouted in his hard-to-miss brogue. You telling me after 18 months of doing divorce work, you got the rock all figured out? Evan jumped up and made his way over to where Carmine was perched. Yeah, I think so, he boasted, setting his wine cooler on the table and looking straight into the big Italian litigator's weary eyes. If you know what makes the man tick, by all means, tell us uh, who are not so enlightened. Evan pursed his lips. Uh, I don't know, Dementia. It's kind of like a trade secret, inside information and all that. I like you. But you're a competitor, and you're asking me to give away proprietary secrets. I'm not sure that would be wise of me. It's probably bad for business. If you got a fact pattern, and you want me to give an opinion on it, I will. But why he does what he does? No, not saying. Oh, I see how you are, roared Dementi, looking around to make sure everybody in the bar could hear him. When you need me to tell you what you need to know about the Gillette County bench, that's one thing. But now I'm asking you for a favor, and it's a different story. No, no, Evan chirped back. It's not like that. It's just that I market myself to the public as the lawyer who's got access to certain information that others don't. Know what I mean? Tement gave a knowing glance to the other two lawyers who were at the booth hoping to shame Stratus into talking. Oh, I hear you loud and clear. You're saying basically you're smart and we're stupid and you ain't to keep it that way. Nah, Dementia, it's not that way, he implored. I just need to keep my work product to myself, that's all. Oh, now we're calling it our work product, are we? Taunted Dement rolling his eyes at Stratus's choice of the legal ethics term for those facts and opinions a lawyer was sworn by his professional ethics to keep a secret. Several lawyers rolled their eyes at the comment and one whispered, give me a break, just loud enough for Stratus to hear. Stratus, as usual, was not backing down. Well, I certainly developed it in the course of my practice, 
It's based on facts I observed in my cases, and it's information only I am privy to. So, yeah, it's classic work product. Why wouldn't it be? Stratus looked around like he expected unanimous support, but he did not find any. Not phased by the lack of agreement, he continued. Well, anyway, you're not going to get any freebies, guys. I work too hard on this. And it works. I haven't lost a case in front of Petrus in the last three months. Stratus, it's too bad you have such a low opinion of yourself, offered Jake Belmont, who is normally a Stratus fan. Opinion's got nothing to do with it, Jake. It's spread on the record. Look it up if you want. In the last three months, of I'm 9-0 and in front of the rock. You know, Dement said, my saintly grandmother used to say, pride cometh before a fall. I think that's pretty good advice for lawyers. Well, your grandma never practiced law, did she, Dement? Stratus shot back. Come on, Stratus. Tell us what you know. You got, like, some sort of moral obligation to keep your brethren in the know, don't you think? After all, this group basically got you up and on your feet. Am I right, Belmont? Belmont just nodded his head. I don't know about moral obligation, but we've given up a lot of inside info to you, Stratosphere. Seems like a little quid pro quo is in order. Jake. I love you like a brother, quipped Stratus, putting his hand on Belmont's shoulder. But my lips are sealed on this. Ask me any other favor, but that's just too much. Belmont knocked Stratus's hand off his shoulder and avoided his overly sincere gaze. <laughs> so much for all you talk about being brethren of the bar, Belmont said, shaking his head. At least tell me this, he continued. How come in that Francis case, Petrus lets your guy take his kid into the bar till midnight while he gets hammered and nothing happens? But in Dementia's case, his client does about the same thing, and he got to have his ex around if he wants to see his kid. I don't get it. Well, my guy wasn't hammered. He'd only had a couple of drinks. Beyond that, like I said, it's, it's work product, Stratus offered. Well, I guess a couple means eight to ten in your world, Belmont said sarcastically. But knock it off with the work product bull and just tell us, come on. It's not like we're not going to figure it out anyway. Well, if, if you guys did your homework, you wouldn't have to ask, Stratus snapped back. Hey, unlike you, I got a wife and three kids for homework, Belmont quipped. I don't have time to write down every little thing. And, unlike you, if I did keep a journal, I'd be happy to share it with my brethren. Unfazed, Stratus had his attention drawn to the entrance to the bar, more specifically to the young female attorney opening the door. Speaking of homework, I see a subject I need to study. Excuse me, fellas. Stratus crooned as he headed towards the direction of Maddie Bowers, the subject of his attraction. Stratus slid into the booth across from Bowers, leaning across the table. Hey, good-looking. How'd you do with the rock today? He chimed, 
continuing his rapt stare into her rather pouty, downcast face. Bowers turned her gaze away. Not so good. I had a custody hearing. We're not done yet, coming back tomorrow. But I don't like the vibe I'm getting. Who's your client? Stratus asked, trying hard to communicate that he was ready to listen and dole out advice all night long if that's what Maddie Bowers wanted. He'd been sending signals that he would give her any help she wanted because what he wanted was her. And who would blame him? Tall, blonde, and athletic, she could have passed for a college football cheerleader, which, in fact, she had been just five years before. Having been hired at Pigeon and Burkus, the city's largest firm, she was starting to get her feet wet in the sometimes baffling world of divorce litigation. She needed all the help she could get, and Stratus was more than willing to oblige. She was one of the small posse of young lawyers that followed Stratus around the razor's edge, hanging on every tidbit of information he might throw her way. And he threw more than Maddie's way than most for reasons that were obvious. Well, my client has two kids, six and eight. She stays at home with them and her ex works at Cummins Engine and he likes to drink, Bowers continued. He works the 3 to 11 shift, and then he goes out with the boys. And he's been living with his parents. She's afraid if he gets that common every other weekend visitation, he'll just dump the kids with Grandma and go out drinking for most of the weekend. So we're going to ask Petrus not to give him the kids on a Friday night and order him not to drink for the 24 hours before he gets them. Stratus shook his head. That's a lot to ask, Maddie. The Rock is pretty consistent about going with Friday night to Sunday night visits, even for guys that work the second shift on Friday night. You got any dirt on Dad? Well, he was on probation at work last fall for getting into it with a co-worker. Gave the guy a black eye over whether the Packers would beat the Bears. Hmm, sounds like a real Einstein, choked Stratus. But what about the stuff that involves the kids? Any bad boy stuff happened while they were around? Well, nothing violent, she said. Let me think. He closed his eyes and cogitated on how much he really wanted to share with her. The one thing that constantly had the rock fingering his ear was children being left alone. Parents who left their kids at home to run to the store who left them in the car while they went into a bar found themselves on the wrong side of the Rock's rulings if things went bad and the child was alone for too long. Stratus speculated that there was something in Petrus's past about being left alone that left him traumatized. Now, evidence of that was pure dynamite. It was in black and white in his journal. Five times it had happened in his cases, Five times he saw the finger go to the ear. Five times he won when he had proof that a child was left alone for too long. (laughs) 
But did he want to open up to Matty Bowers about it? It had taken him over a year to develop this information. Was his attraction to her worth giving it away? His deep thoughts were quickly interrupted by the bellowing of Carmine Dement. Yo, Matty Bowers, he barked. I got that 20 bucks I owe ya. Come get it before I'm forced to buy another round. Bowers saw the outstretched arm of the ever-dramatic Dement held high and waving the bill around. You'll have to excuse me, she said, turning back to Stratus. Sure, he said, weakly, continuing his deliberation over his moral dilemma. Was she worth all the possible repercussions? Was his work product more important than his chance at romance? What would his seniors at the firm think if they found out? What would Judge Petrus think if he heard of it? He was still navel-gazing when he saw Bowers had retrieved her $20 and was headed back. As she sat down, she cleared her throat. I'm really frustrated with Petrus, she offered. He sits up there like Gibraltar, and here's how this guy is out boozing instead of being at home with his kids. There's just no visible effect on him. I don't know how to read him, man, do you? With that last phrase, she reached out and grabbed Stratus's elbow. Stratus felt a big buzz when he felt her touch. Well, it was anything but sensual. To Stratus, it felt like she was starting to open the door that he'd been knocking at for months. He quickly dropped his arm off the table and grabbed the tips of her fingers with his. All right, now you can't share this with anybody, he blurted out, hardly believing his words were coming out of his mouth. Heard what? She fired back, leaning farther across the table. I haven't heard you say a word, man. I'm as deaf as a post, she joked, squeezing his fingers as tight as she could. The key to the rock, believe it or not, is all in his body language, he stated bluntly. Body language, she cried loudly. What are you talking about? That statue of Colonel Gillette on the courthouse lawn has more body language than he's got. Shh, whispered Stratus. You gotta keep your voice down. I agree. He sits there like a rock. But if you pay attention, I'm telling you, the body language is the key to understanding what moves the man. It's all in black and white, Maddie. You know how I am about this kind of stuff. I've written it down how he reacts to the evidence for the past year and a half. And he's pretty consistent, really always consistent. He does the same thing every time he gets upset. And it's the same thing making him upset every time. Okay, I believe you. You were spot on about Holzapple not liking mothers who work. I've got no reason not to believe you, except I've been in front of the rock for six months now, and it's by name, by nature. He is a rock. He hardly moves up there. What in the world are you talking about? They hadn't noticed that Bauer's legal assistant had entered the bar and was standing in front of them, clearing her throat. Maddie, 
she said firmly. Mr. Burgess wants to see you back at the office. Something about a deposition. He needs you to cover for him tomorrow. Well, give me a minute here, she managed to mumble. The assistant stared back at her. He wants to leave. His kid's got a ball game. I think he should come with me. Bowers blew out a puff of frustrated air. <sighs> All right. Don't go anywhere, Evan, she ordered. Stratus found himself alone in the booth, wondering if he had done the right thing. He had momentary thoughts of leaving and denying what he said, but the better part of him decided that he had already spilled too many beans, and he was going to have to just tell her the whole story. He wondered why he let pretty faces make him do things he wouldn't otherwise do. That little buzz he felt when she grabbed his elbow put him over the edge. Why can't I just ignore that stuff, he mused. He thought he was feeling that buzz again, but when it happened a second time, he realized it was his smartphone vibrating. He pulled it out and saw he had a text from his secretary. Judge Patris needs an emergency JL tomorrow. Want you in his office at 8.30 to talk to you about the case. Great, thought Stratus. Just what I want to do, babysit some kid instead of getting ready for my hearing on Monday. He hated GAO work, which required him to represent a child's best interest at a rate of pay roughly half of what his normal hourly rate was. But it gave him a chance to score some points with The Rock, which was always a good thing. Plus, he could test out his theory in a case where he really wasn't directly affected. Maybe it's not so bad after all, he thought. He was still thinking this through when his cell phone started buzzing again. It was a text from Maddie. Burkus wants me here drafting questions for this dip. Don't wait. I'll catch up with you later on The Rock. The seventh floor of Judge Petrus's office was something of an impenetrable fortress. First one had to get past the 12-foot-high double doors that were the entrance to the judge's office wing. Always locked, a small metal box with a keypad and an intercom unlocked the doors if one knew the code. Few people did. Once inside, one was greeted by an enormous half-circle security desk and DeMarcus Trope, the 6'4", 290-pound ex-college football player of a security guard, that sat behind it. What's your business here? Was Trope's perpetual question for anyone entering the door. He made it clear that you better well know what your business was if you were in this sanctuary. Judge Petrus wants to see me, Stratus said, pulling his tie up. Entering the judge's chambers was still something of a novelty for Stratus and the clicking of the double doors behind him still made his heart race a little. As he entered the doorway, he was greeted by the smiling face of Mary Ellen Quartress, the judge's secretary. Oh, Mr. Stratus, how are you? Just fine, Mary Ellen, he stated in his polite, formal voice. 
Judge wants to talk to me? Yes, he's ready for you. Go on back. Evan smiled politely, tugged his tie up one last time, and walked into the rock's chambers. Like its occupant, the rock's office was spare and unrevealing. The walls were lined with old law reporters that had been there for the past three or four decades. Two black leather chairs sat before his desk. The desk was small, almost tiny compared to the tall, thin figure that sat behind it. Besides the morning's neatly stacked court files and a solitary family picture, it was completely empty. No papers, books, computer, or clutter. The rock sat stiffly behind it, just as rigid as he did in court. He looked up and smiled briefly when Stratus entered the room. Ah, Mr. Stratus, thank you for allowing me to impose upon you on such short notice. No problem, Your Honor. What do you need? He stated compliantly. Mr. Cranston's ill today. I have this Jimenez case set for hearing for three months, and the parties are anxious to get it over with. They've got three children, but only one of them is still a minor. It's a nine-year-old boy. His name is, uh, let's see, Benito. Father is Juan, mother Marie. Any conflicts that you know of? Nothing ringing a bell, but let me call just to make sure. Evan pulled out his smartphone and hit the speed dial. As he waited for his secretary, he heard the high-pitched voice of Miss Quartress from the other office. Your Honor, Mr. Finwick is on the line wanting to know if he can reschedule that TRO hearing he set for this afternoon. The other side is agreeable. Quartress got a puzzled look to his face. Finwich, he shouted. Do I know an attorney named Penwich? That's not a familiar name. His secretary came through the door and glared at him. It's Paul Finwick, Your Honor, not Pinwich. Oh, Paul. Of course, yes, by, by all means, set it over. He smiled and shook his head. Where did I get Pinwich? Miss Quartress remained in the doorway, still glaring at the judge. Your Honor, she stated emphatically. Do you have your device in? The rock's smile vanished, and a frown replaced it. He shook his head and opened the pencil drawer to his desk, pulling out a small rectangular box. As Stratus watched, he removed a small flesh pink object the size of a fingernail from the box and placed it on his forefinger. Then he bent his head down and implanted it in his right ear canal. As Stratus watched, the rock probed his right ear with his finger, the same way he had seen him probe it during his moments of glory in court. Testing, one, two, one, two, the rock said as Evan sat, now gap-mouthed, watching. A few more seconds of fingering the ear, and he apparently was satisfied with the volume on his hearing aid.
Stratus sat there stunned, finally realizing he was doing so and leaving his secretary without a response. Uh, could you do a conflicts check on Juan and Marie Jimenez? Thank you. He managed to get out, hoping his voice wasn't quivering like he was now inside. <laughs> One of the benefits of being in your 50s is your body parts start to malfunction, the rock joked. I've had this thing for nearly a year now, and I'm still not used to it. For as much as I paid for it, you'd think the volume would be easy to adjust, but it's just not. I find myself having to play with it all the time, sometimes even in court. It's frustrating. I worry that it's a distraction, having the judge fidgeting with his ear all the time. I, I hope it's not too noticeable. No, no, not at all, Your Honor, Stratus said weakly. I've really never noticed. Thank you.